Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. A superior court in Los Angeles has dropped charges against Eugene Yu, the CEO of election software firm Conic. This was at the request of controversial Los Angeles DA, George Gascon. Prosecutors had accused Connick of being behind, quote, probably the largest data breach in United States history. The company stored data about American poll workers on servers in China. Yu, a Chinese-born American citizen, was arrested in October and charged with conspiracy and grand theft of embezzlement of public funds. The L.A. District Attorney's Office said they wanted to dismiss the case because they're concerned about potential bias in the investigation. And next we have Leah Hoops. She co-authored the book, The Parallel Election, Blueprint for Deception, based on what she saw during the 2020 elections in Pennsylvania. She says there are eerie similarities to what took place then and what she saw this Tuesday in Pennsylvania. Leah Hoops, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me. Leah, it sounds like you've been warning much of what we uh, just mentioned, um, you know, previously to this this election taking place. Uh, you've been very active in the process in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, uh, sounding the alarm bells over a variety of election malpractices. What do you think Pennsylvanians need to know about the integrity of this uh, cycle in Pennsylvania? So unfortunately, uh, we have been vindicated um, you know, I'm not gloating or anything like that, but what we need to do is uh, very quickly fight in the courts. And fortunately, uh, since we've been proactive, we have an open complaint here in Delaware County and can prove that they have violated not only state laws, but also uh, federal laws um, when it comes to the, uh, the general uh, election. And could you just tell us what you mean by that? What is going on? Where, where are the laws being broken? So we had uh, about six months worth of evidence, um, you know, with a wonderful group of people. And specifically, we talked about uh, the pedigree of the mail-in ballots, uh, including sending out applications that are unverified for mail-in ballots. We talk about that there's no chain of custody coming from these drop boxes. And then specifically, we're, uh, we have pointed out that the logic and accuracy testing that comes uh, all the way down from the EAC, federal government, state government, and directives that have to be followed very specifically. Uh, when you do a logic and accuracy testing on these machines, uh, they were completely ignored by Delaware County, Pennsylvania. And we can prove that because we have affidavits from uh, observers that were there during logic and accuracy testing. And what that causes is major issues with scanners and tabulators. And you're seeing this all across the country. Uh, Mercer County, New Jersey, Maricopa, Arizona. You saw it in Texas, you saw it in Michigan. You saw it right here in Pennsylvania. Because this can be a bit confusing for folks that don't understand the election process, even for myself, when it comes to the logic and accuracy testing that you're talking about, besides the obvious, how detrimental is this if flawed? Do we know if it is flawed? And what does this ultimately lead to? Well, what's not flawed is that during the certification of these machines, it's very specific about the logic and accuracy testing. The EAC is very specific. The certification for each state is very specific. And what it does is, is that it ensures that the software, the hardware, the hardware, and everything works properly prior to the election. And so that on election day, when you fire up those machines, your ballots are being read properly. They're not being rejected. 
the software is reading properly, the tabulators are counting correctly. So if you don't do those things and you don't implement these procedures and, and processes, uh, obviously you're going to have these major issues, which allows for uh, improper tabulation, it allows for rejection of ballots, and it also really screws up the, the, uh, you know, the counts and everything else. So you have to follow these things. Uh, they're implemented for a reason. So you can't even, you know, now they can't even say that there's any kind of uh, fail-safe system um, if they're not following the procedures and the laws that are prescribed for them. And I've heard uh, you refer to it before. Um, it's, it's a term, I don't know if you made it up, you've called it a forensically destructive process, referring to the fact that if, in fact, you went back to audit the election or do a recount, um, you basically wouldn't be able to do it anymore. Is that right? That is correct. Greg came up with that term in because he's a, a forensics guy. He talked about it in the Gettysburg uh, hearing. And what we're saying is when, you know, let me give you an example. If you have a murder, right, that happens and you have someone collecting evidence and you have to be able to take, uh, you have to be able to recreate where the evidence came from with, you know, logs and custody sheets and so on and so forth. You know, if you don't follow those those procedures, then that, that evidence is not admissible in court. And what we're seeing in our elections is that, um, you know, everywhere, all, all across the, the, the country here is that they cannot recreate uh, these these steps. There's no chain of custody. There's no pedigree for the ballots. You know, they're not following procedures and laws uh, that, that keep our elections safe and free. Lee Hoops, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much, Steve. And next up joining us, we have Maj Toure, founder of Black Guns Matter, an organization that supports Second Amendment rights and provides gun safety training for Americans in urban communities. Toure will discuss with us the trends in gun ownership among black Americans and violent crime in big cities. Maj Toure, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, appreciate it. Maj, Black Guns Matter, your organization, uh, a fascinating name which obviously sounds uh, pro-Second Amendment, but what you do in, in your mission uh, goes far beyond, far beyond just being pro-gun. Uh, tell us about it. Well, we're pro-freedom, we're pro-people, we're pro-America, we're pro-justice, we're pro-accountability, uh, we're pro uh, the things that make our communities actually solid, uh, safer, more responsible, and uh, you know, limited government is kind of like what we are, but you can't just have a conversation about firearms without having a deeper conversation about, you know, conflict resolution or de-escalation or what are we actually prote protecting? If, if there's a group of people or an individual who doesn't feel like their life matters or feels like uh, they have no equity built up in their life, then there's no reason for them to defend anything. So we try to make sure that we're uh, in our community center, the Solutionary Center, and the classes abroad, even if it is a basic firearm safety class, we also are teaching people about how to avoid unnecessary conflict, how to build skill sets that add to and enhance the quality of their life so they have something to uh, you know, want to defend if need be. The value system and the cultural shift is a big part of our work at Black Guns Matter. Now, you're based out of Philadelphia, uh, as well as your organization, a city sadly seeing way more violent crime than anyone would like to see. Um, what has been the reaction to your mission and your work in Philly? The rank and file of the people love the work. The powers that be in Philadelphia, I want to challenge them because I feel like 
not even feel. The fact of the matter is local government has not reached out. We have an entire location that we crowdfund. All of our classes, whether that's Spanish, phlebotomy, stop the bleed, conflict resolution, yoga, basic firearms, all of these classes are made free to the public and we are based out of voluntary donations. Now, the city has a uh, stop the violence, you know, and gun violence campaign committee and things like that with funds allocated to uh, attempt to try to solve some of these issues that we're seeing with violent crime. We're saying that we have one of the things or a few of the answers that could assist in solving this problem, but local government has not reached out. And I think we we, we could get some work done if they would kind of like not be as partisan and say, hey, Let's try adding some resources to the work that you guys are already doing. Um, so those guys, you know, uh, haven't really been on the ball. They've dropped the ball, to be honest. But the students, I literally am just coming back from uh, the range where I taught one of our students that came to our Saturday class, and she brought her daughter. So the rank-and-file Philadelphia citizen wants this. They want to live in safe and responsible communities. They do not want their Second Amendment rights trampled as if, as some of our, uh, you know, Mayor Kenny has, has suggested, which I vehemently disagree with him on that, but he's on his way out here shortly soon. But my point here is, you know, local uh, citizenry wants the classes and the information that we're presenting, but local government has kind of dropped the ball, and we would like to see a little bit more change in that direction from, you know, our public servants. Maj, to your point, there are many states and cities, specifically along the coast of our country, like Philly, where the prospects of carrying a firearm can be a taboo subject, uh, essentially that guns are only for cops and criminals. What do you say to that narrative? I say that that narrative is false and is steeped in the actual racist practice of gun control. And I say that not because, you know, racism is the, the call of the day now. Everything allegedly is racism in America. The reality is we do have some systemic racist issues in our nation, and one of the most significantly racist things has been gun control. It's interesting that you say around the Northeast cities, when you have cities that are predominantly uh, you know, populated by black and brown people, that's where the most gun control is. Ironically, that's where most of the violent crimes is in these big cities. Um, after emancipation, you know, that great migration happened where a lot of uh, people from the South, black people from the South that were newly uh, emancipated, came to these big cities, came to Los Angeles, came to Detroit, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston, New York, so forth and so on. That's where the gun control was created. And so, when we are uh, aware of uh, this history, this unfortunate stain on our flag, and the, you know, again, the racist practice of gun control, um, there's a lot of you know would-be uh, public servants that'll try to pretend like that's not the case. They'll pretend as if you know uh, gun ownership is the actual racist thing, when in reality, gun control was literally started to stop black people from having the means to themselves. And I'm saying that literally, not figuratively. Um, the outcomes are very similar. And the PR uh, that goes along with convincing a group of people that their human right to keep and bear arms, as codified in the Second Amendment to the you know Bill of Rights and the Constitution, to convince people that that's in their disinterest is another part of their PR spin. That PR spin has turned into this so-called taboo thing, which also flies in the face of the historical context of black people having a rich tradition with firearms in America. Black people have fought for and defended this country in every major war that America's had. So we more so than any other group of people, and I say that not to disparage any other group of people, but based on the unique history that African Americans have had 
with, as it relates to firearms ownership in America, whether that's during enslavement, the Revolutionary War, the Civil, Civil War, so forth and so on, uh, we were very active in that fight and uh, safe and responsible firearms ownership. The convincing of these demographics to pretend as if gun control is actually for their benefit when the data shows that it is not, and uh, convincing these groups of people that they're exercising their human and fundamental right to self-defense from actual threats to life is somehow the taboo thing. It's just a nod to uh, the, the good work that the media does in regards to tricking people into their own disinterest. So, but now, you know, with our work, we're, we're reversing that again, African-American people for the last few years now, largely in part to our work at Black Guns Matter, are the largest new gun buying demographic in America. And that's a great thing because as more black and brown communities start to become safe and responsible firearms owners, they're gonna make different political choices. They're gonna start looking at the libertarian ideology like the you know, founding fathers were about liberty. And I think that makes it really, really good for America because you know how they say a rising tide you know, rises all boats. So I think it's a good thing for us to know the historical reference. I think it's a great thing for us to not repeat the racist practice of gun control. And as more people in these demographics are safe and responsible owners, that deal with conflict resolution and de-escalation, we'll start to, over time, start to see violent crimes decrease in these areas, and that's the goal. Maj Toure, thank you so much. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review, as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.